0: Um, As they're doing that, I'm going to introduce myself. If I've not had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Alan Pittman. I have the privilege of serving as the senior pastor here, as well as one of the elders. And we're absolutely thrilled that you're worshiping with us today in the building online. I know that we have several of you that are guests with us today, and we want to be able to be sure and welcome you properly and let you know about what's going on in the life of the church. And as Ricky said a moment ago on the video, there are connection cards that are in the chairs right in front of you. All you have to do is fill that out, give us as much information as you'd like us to have, drop that in the offering plate when it's passed. Later in the service, and then we can uh, contact you with any information about the church. I do encourage you to use these cards this week to invite someone to come to church with you uh, with all of the activities that are going on. You keep hearing us refer to this as Holy Week, and some of us may have grown up with that term, and others of us may not have. Holy Week just simply means the events and activities that took place in the life of Jesus, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, between Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. So those eight days, beginning with today, are referenced uh, as Holy Week. And and you'll see that this week we have uh, labeled everything Remember and Proclaim. And in fact, on the logo, if you look at the backside, it, it has eight different symbols or emblems. Each one of those represents something that took place on each day of the week between now and Easter. So I'll just start at the front end and go to the back end, and you can look at the other six later. Uh, on the top left-hand corner is a palm branch, so that represents Palm Sunday. On the bottom right-hand side is the eighth day, which is the resurrection, you'll see an empty tomb there. And so the idea is that during the week of Holy Week, we are seeking to remember everything that Jesus did and experienced during that last week of his life before he was uh, killed and, and then was resurrected. And then we're going to get ready to proclaim that information, that news, the good news to those that are around us. And one thing that we're going to do this week is we're actually going to use a reading guide. And we're going to try to pass these out. We're, we're practicing our, our social skills today of handing things out. And so everyone that's on the end of the row, on the left side of your row, look underneath the chair. Grab a stack of, of these guides. And then pass it down your row we'd like everyone to grab one to get one and we realize we may not have enough in every single row so pass them down everybody grab one as they come through and then make it to the far end if you have extras and we've got some of our adults that are going to come by and make sure that everybody gets one so on this front row these front couple of rows got ladies y'all can pick up what's on the floor because there's extras if you did not receive Um, again we're practicing our our passing out skills here if you did not receive a uh, devotional guide just simply raise your hand and they will get you one as well anybody need one that didn't get one raise your hand if you need one all right so the idea is uh this week we're going to have a devotional guide every day of the week Uh, this morning's Today is Palm Sunday, and you'll see on the back side of this devotional guide the actual devotional. At the bottom, you'll see instructions for how you can access Every Other Days because it is going to be online digitally. You can use the QR code, you can use the website, and you can check out the devotional guides that way. I would encourage you that you as an individual, you as a couple, you as a family, that you would sit down and do each one of these days because the idea is between the devotional guides and between the activities that are happening here at the church building, our intention is that every single day we will reflect on and remember the activities that happen in the life of Jesus so that we can better understand and appreciate what Easter really is all about. I want to remind you of a few things that we're doing starting today we are having a Palm Sunday service where we're seeing what Jesus did on Sunday and Monday we're actually going to dip into Monday as well and look at the text about Sunday and Monday and then on on Good Friday this Friday evening at six o'clock we'll be worshiping in this room and having a Good Friday service including a Lord's Supper And we're going to read Scripture and sing and talk about Jesus' death. We're we're not going to focus that evening on the resurrection because we want to sit in the seriousness of the sacrifice of Christ that he made on our behalf and the fact that he went to the tomb and was there for three days. And then on Sunday morning, you're invited to come be a part of the sunrise service. And that sunrise service is going to happen at 7 a.m., It'll be happening outside unless it's raining or there's lightning. It'll be happening outside so we can see the sunrise and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. It'll be about a 35-minute worship service uh, outside, and then we're having pancakes, and then we're coming back for our worship service at 1030. All intending for us to sit in the moment of the life of Jesus as we walk through the Holy Week. So I know I kind of front-loaded with lots of information. Let's now actually get to the sermon text. If you don't mind, grab your Bible if you've got one with you. And go ahead and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, the first book in the New Testament. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 21. Hopefully when you came in this morning, talking about more handouts, you got a worship guide. And on the back of the worship guide is a place for you to take notes and to see where we're going through the sermon this morning. Today is Palm Sunday. And we are looking to the Gospel of Matthew this week to see what happens in the life of Jesus, including today, Palm Sunday. And the reason it's called Palm Sunday is because it was Jesus' triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem just seven days before his resurrection. And as he came into the, the city, we, we see at the beginning of Matthew chapter 21 that the people, the crowd, they waved palm branches. They got their cloaks, which is the outer garments, and they actually laid them on the road, almost like making a red carpet, if you will, so that Jesus would come into the city as they waved palm branches and had the, the cloaks on the ground, and they were shouting and singing Jesus' praises, literally. Uh, Eric mentioned that a moment ago. Look at Matthew chapter 21, verse 9. And in that verse, we'll see the things that they're saying. The crowds that went before Jesus and followed him were shouting or singing, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. This word, Hosanna, simply means a shout of praise or, or, or adoration. And so as they are singing Hosanna to Jesus, they are worshiping him and praising him and celebrating him. But do you remember what happened just a few days later? That same crowd or a crowd similar to that crowd, instead of seeing Jesus' praises, instead of worshiping him, instead of seeing Hosanna, on Friday they would be shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. So on Palm Sunday we get this vision of people worshiping Jesus, and yet, as we look at the extent of the week, we understand that this crowd did not fully or completely or correctly understand what worship is really all about. They missed out what it means to worship Jesus. And if we're not careful, you and I today can miss out on what it truly means to genuinely worship Jesus. I don't think any of us are going to stand up and yell, crucify him, crucify him. But if we're not careful, we don't really have a true appreciation for what it means to worship Jesus. Each Sunday, you and I come together to worship Jesus. But the reality is we should not just come to gather to worship Jesus, but on Sundays when the service is over with, we actually scatter to worship Jesus wherever we go throughout the course of the week. And so you'll see at the top of your sermon outlines that we're calling this Genuinely Worship Jesus. That's the call. That's the challenge for us to genuinely worship Jesus. So I've got a question on the screen, and that is the simple question, are you genuinely worshiping Jesus? You're like, yes, Alan. Didn't you just hear me? Like I was singing. I was raising my hands. I'm here at church. I'm worshiping Jesus. The crowd in Jerusalem was worshiping Jesus on Palm Sunday, but they didn't fully get it. Now, don't get me wrong. I know many of us in this room, we're not perfect, but we do get it. We understand what worshiping Jesus is about, but there may be some of us that are a bit confused or some of us that might get off pace just a little bit. And so the the text we're looking at today will help us understand what it means to genuinely worship him. So let's look at it together. It's in Matthew chapter 21, It's right after the triumphal entry into the city, we pick up the story in verse 12. Matthew 21, verse 12 through 22. I meant to say a moment ago, if you don't have a Bible, there is a Bible underneath your chair or near you. You can use that Bible during the service, and if you need a Bible to take home with you, feel free to take that with you. That will be our gift to you. Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 through 22. It says, And Jesus entered the temple there in Jerusalem, and he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. We'll talk about what that's about in a moment. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. I know that seems weird. We'll get to that in just a minute. Jesus said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you made it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes, in other words, the religious leaders, saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. So that same song is being repeated in the temple with the children. When they heard that, they were indignant, the religious leaders were. Verse 16, they said to Jesus, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read any quotes from Psalms? And it says, out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. And leaving them, Jesus went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And Jesus said, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, It appears that all of these events, including the the, the casting people out of the temple, took place on Sunday right after the triumphal entry. But if you were to turn over one gospel and you went to the gospel of Mark, if you were to read gospel of Mark's account in chapter 11, you would see that what actually took place chronologically speaking was apparently on Sunday after the triumphal entry jesus went into the temple he made a look around and then he went and spent the night elsewhere and then actually when he cast the people out of the temple was on monday so you're like okay so why does matthew give the impression it happened on sunday and why does mark say it happened on monday and, and does that mean they're in conflict with one another and the answer is actually no If you were to ask someone what took place a few years ago on a certain day, some of us might get really precise and say, well, at 6.15 a.m. this happened, and then at 6.16 a.m. this happened, and 6.20 this happened. Somebody else might go, well, that weekend was crazy. Let me tell you about the weekend and kind of just pile all the things together, right? So there's a sense that the the, the author of, of Mark... Mark himself is a sequential account, chronological in nature, but Matthew is more of a summary of events. Either way, it's what happened. It's true what took place. And so, essentially what I'm saying is, as you read Mark's account, you're going to see that probably most likely the cleansing of the temple, while it happened, yes, it actually happened on Monday and not on Sunday. Now, back to the text. Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 through 22. We read that just a moment ago together. And in that section of those 11 verses, a lot of things happen. Jesus cleanses the temple. Jesus heals some people in the temple. Jesus curses a fig tree, and it withers and dies. And then he teaches on prayer you're like that's a lot that happens in 11 verses like should you not be preaching four sermons instead of those this one sermon the reality is while those four things took place they're all pointing to the same thing and they're all pointing to what it means to be genuinely worshiping God now let's kind of unpack it together the temple the temple was in Jerusalem The people of Israel would live in various places, and then people that weren't even Jewish would sometimes come to the temple as well. And so Jerusalem was seen as the holy city. Jerusalem is where the main temple was. Throughout the countryside, there would be synagogues where people could worship on a Sabbath day, yes. But when it came to the big festivals and, uh, and activities of the people of Israel including Passover which is this is what's going on at this time the people would make a pilgrimage and go into the city of Jerusalem so they could be at the temple to bring sacrifices and to celebrate the feast and the festival together and so because of that the temple was a huge complex complex not complex a huge complex the reality is the temple's Territory, the Temple Mount, was probably between 35 and 40 acres in size. It was a huge place. Like our building here is a decent size, our property here is a decent size, but I can tell you this it's nowhere near 35 to 40 acres. So just picture this grand, glorious, huge edifice on a large territory there in the city of Jerusalem. It was grand, it was glorious, it was beautiful. People were coming from all over to the temple there in Jerusalem. Now what was the express purpose of the temple? The express purpose of the temple was for God's people to gather together to worship and to bring sacrifice and to celebrate who he is, to worship God. Now look down at verse 13. Jesus' reaction to what he saw, which we're going to talk about in just a moment, in that setting was that they had lost sight of what the purpose of the temple was. In verse 13, Jesus says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And I'm going to add these three words. You're like, why are you adding the scripture? I'm not. I'll tell you why I'm adding these words right here. Uh, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The reason I'm adding those three words is because the verse that's being referenced from the Old Testament, you can write it down, is Isaiah chapter 56, verse 7. So in verse 13, when Jesus is quoting, he's quoting from Isaiah 53, which says, My house shall be a house of prayer for all peoples. Again, if you go to Mark chapter 11, you're going to see that those three words, for all peoples, is included there. Jesus said those words. Matthew just happened to not have recorded those three words at the tail end of what he says here. Now, let's talk about what all this is about. He says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The word prayer does not mean that's all that they were to do there. Rather, prayer was a figure of speech about the whole thing of everything that they were to do at the temple. And that is they were to, 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 to worship with prayer, with songs, with teachings, with offerings. And instead of worship, what Jesus found on that day was a huge religious circus. Look back at verse 12 jesus saw what was taking place there were people there changing money there were people selling things and so he drove them out of the temple instead of worshiping there was a big religious circus now what was happening there at the temple like i said it's about over 35 acres large at the temple, there would be kind of different layers, if you will, of the most holy place and then different courtyards. Well, the, the, most, the largest courtyard and the, 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 the outer courtyard was referred to as the Court of the Gentiles. The idea is that this courtyard was available for those that were not Jewish but were interested in things of God, and they could come and they could worship there, and they could not go any further into the temple. They had to stay in the courtyard of the Gentiles. And what was taking place is the religious leaders had set up a marketplace in the courtyard of the Gentiles, this big open-air courtyard, and in that courtyard, they were exchanging money and they were buying animals. You're like, why are they doing that at the temple? I'm glad you asked that. The idea is that they were to have a perfect, unblemished animal, including even pigeons it says here, to to, to have sacrificed. And instead of bringing their animal with them from out of town or not having a perfect animal, they would buy it once they got to the temple. Well, they had moved the market inside the temple, and they were buying the animals there for sacrifice. And on top of that, they could not use their local currency. They had to exchange money and have Temple money. It's kind of like monopoly money, I guess. They had to have exact kind of money. And so all of this is taking place, and Jesus says, Guys, you're missing it. You're not worshiping God like you should. I'm kicking you out of here. So as we walk through this text, let's consider the things that are included in genuine worship of God or worship of Jesus. The first one is this it's there on your nose. Give Him praise give him praise we're to give jesus praise sunday began that way as jesus made this triumphal entry into the city the people were singing hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord they are celebrating everything about jesus when the temple was built it was built for the worship of jesus When the Passover happened in the Old Testament and through the 2,000 years almost of of remembering what the Passover was about, they had celebrated God every year as they worshipped what God had done for them. But along the way, things have shifted and changed and what Jesus saw on that day instead of worshipping God was he saw commerce and he saw a religious activity or observance but not genuine worship of God. So in verse 12, it says he drove them all out of the temple. Now, did you notice in verse 12 who Jesus threw out of the temple? If we're not careful, we think it says that he sold, uh, kicked out those who sold the things. But in verse 12, it says he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple anyone that was a part of the religious circus that was going on that day whether it was the people selling the things which by the way when they sold those things they were taking advantage of the people because they were upcharging on the price of the animal as well as the currency exchange but not only is he kicking them out for cheating the people he's also kicking those out who had bought the animals as well the question is why did he kick them all out the answer is because the temple had been corrupted the temple had been corrupted by commerce, by, by business transactions, instead of being focused on the purpose that it existed for, and that is to worship the Lord. The reality is that if we're not careful today, we can be driven by religious or Christian commercialism as well, consumerism. If we're not careful, we're, we can be bombarded by Christian commercialism, consumerism, materialism. Our Christianity can become filled with so much stuff and activity and we lose sight of the fact that we are to praise Jesus for who he is. So I want us to ask a couple of questions. They're going to be on the screen. I want you to evaluate your own life. What about you and your life? Are you giving praise to Jesus? Are you giving praise to Jesus in your life? Not just on Sunday mornings, not just on Easter Sundays, not just at the religious activity times, but throughout the course of our day, throughout the course of our week, throughout the course of our life, are we worshiping Jesus and giving him praise? Or have we turned the worship of Jesus into just a religious activity now don't get me wrong the word religion does not have to be a bad word but the connotation it sometimes gets is a negative one in the sense of just kind of going through the motions and i'm saying are we worshiping jesus genuinely and wholeheartedly or are we going through the motions another way that we are to worship jesus genuinely is that we need to prioritize prayer that's on your notes as well prioritize prayer in verse 13 jesus said that his house is to be a house of prayer in verse 22 if you look down at it it says whatever you ask for in prayer you'll receive if you have faith and so the idea of the importance of prayer is listed all throughout this text as well here at our church we're trying to emphasize the importance of prayer there's a couple ways that we're doing it as a church family specifically one way is on sunday mornings we have a pastoral prayer every sunday morning at the start of the service Because we want to focus on the Lord by seeking him in prayer. Another thing that we're doing is we have a a prayer time on Wednesday mornings at 7 a.m. here at the church building. Right now, the larger number of people that are coming to that are young adults and college students. So if you don't fit in those categories, and I realize some of you that don't fit in that category, the reason you can't come at 7 a.m. is you're getting the kids off to school. So I understand that and I get that. But if any of you do occasionally have flexibility with your schedule, And you can make it, we'd love for you to come at 7 a.m. on Wednesday mornings for prayer. But the reality is we're not going to prioritize prayer like we should simply because the church has a pastoral prayer emphasis on Sunday mornings and because we gather at 7 a.m. on Wednesday mornings. Because those two things, just doing those, can actually become a religious activity. The reality is we want to personalize and prioritize prayer in each of our lives so that as we go throughout our day personally, we are prioritizing prayer. Because to worship Jesus genuinely necessitates that we be people of prayer. The reason we need to be people of prayer is not to convince God to do something for us, but rather the reason we need prayer is to worship God first and foremost, and secondly, to align our will with his will. And as we pray, we pray for his will to be done and for us to receive and accept his will in our lives. Now, look down in verse 22 real quickly. I read that a moment ago. It says, whatever you ask for in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. I want to explain what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is not saying, if you have faith that the Cowboys are going to win the Super Bowl, pray for it and it'll happen. Because I've been praying that for 30 years and it just doesn't happen. In all seriousness, I've never prayed that prayer. But the rest of the story is true. It hasn't happened in quite some time. It's also not saying, amen, hey now. That's a Houston Texan right there. I mean, come on. It also means this. I was actually praying with a family this week, and they're dealing with cancer. And for me to say, if you just have enough faith, the cancer will be removed, and if it's not removed, you didn't have enough faith, would be a bald-faced lie. This verse is not a guarantee that any time we pray for something, if I have enough faith inside of me, God has to do it. Rather, I believe what Jesus is saying is if I have faith in God's will and trust him, then I will pray and I will pray according to his will. And when I pray according to his will, his will is answered. The family that I'm speaking of happens to be in the room right now, and I'm going to share just a little bit of the story that I shared with them, and that is this. If you turn to the book of James, it says that if we need to pray for something, let's pray for it, and the Lord will answer it, and he will raise up. In fact, I, want to, I didn't have this in my notes, but I do want to say it, because if we're not careful, we'll turn into name it, claim it, and that is not what this verse says. In James, it says this. It says, if anyone is suffering, let him pray. If anyone among you is sick, let him call the elders and let him pray Then pray over him, anointing him with oil. And in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. So I shared with that family, because the person I was praying with is a believer in Jesus Christ. And I said, that prayer is going to be answered one way or the other. Because the Lord is going to raise you up. Either you are going to be healed from your cancer Or in time, cancer may take your life, but because you're a follower of Jesus, you will be raised up to be in the presence of the Lord. And so what I'm saying is, do not take verse 22, and family, I know I didn't ask ahead of time to tell your story, but I appreciate you letting me tell that because I think it's the true thing that all of us can learn from. Verse 22, whatever you ask for in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. That is not saying name it, claim it. That's saying have faith in the God that you're praying to. And as you do, he will answer his, your prayer according to his will. And that is a very good thing. All right. As it pertains to prayer, I want to ask you two questions. It's on the screen. Is prayer something we just do at the expected times? Or is prayer something we do on a regular, ongoing basis? When's the expected times? Well, you know, at the end of the service, we're supposed to pray. You know, at the supper table, you're supposed to pray. You know, at the family reunion, right before you get to get, you're supposed to pray. You know, at the end of the night, when you're laying your head down on the pillow, you're supposed to pray. I'm not knocking any of those times, right? But if we're not careful, we turn prayer to a religious activity that we just do at the designated times. Paul says we're to pray without ceasing. My question is, are we worshiping Jesus like we should? And if we are, then we're prioritizing prayer. Let's go to the next thing. Another thing about uh, worshiping the Lord properly is that we welcome others to worship. This is a critical point that is oftentimes overlooked in this text. Do you remember what Jesus was upset about? He kicked them all out because he said that the temple had been turned into a place of commerce. He kicked them all out because he says it should be about prayer for all peoples. This is taking place in the court of the Gentiles. So the offense that he is bothered by is not simply that they are having a marketplace in the church building. He's offended that it's set up right there in the court of the Gentiles, which prevents it from being the place of prayer for all peoples, because the only place the Gentiles could worship is in the court of the Gentiles. And now it's all clogged up and congested with this market that's taking place for the Jewish people, and so the people of the Gentiles would not even be able to get into the building to worship because of their place of market. Does that make Make sense their religious circus was actually preventing people from coming in to worship the Lord. The Gentiles traveled to the temple, they could only worship there, and now it's full of a market. And so, by driving the people out of the temple, he opened it for the blind and the lame. Look down in verse 14. After he drove the people out, in verse 14, it says now he's able to perform miracles and he's able to heal the blind and the lame. His clearing out the marketplace made way for the people to come to worship the Lord and to experience his healing. Now, I said a moment ago that when he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer, it came from Isaiah chapter 56. You may want to write this down. Isaiah 56 verses 3 through 7. We're not going to take the time to read it this morning, but you should at some point today. Isaiah 56, 3-7 is clear. The prophet says that everyone is welcome to come to the Lord's house. But they were preventing people from coming, and then at the end result of what we read about Jesus in Matthew chapter 21, we see that the lame and the blind are welcome. We see that children and infants are welcome. We see that Gentiles and all people are welcome. So part of welcoming people And worshiping Jesus is to receive them when they come to worship. It's also a part of inviting them. Not only should we be welcoming to people, we should be inviting to people. So why did we give you these cards? We gave you these cards so you could invite people to church on Sunday for Easter so that we could welcome them when they come. Easter is the very best time, in my opinion, in the South to invite somebody to church because everybody that's a good moral person knows you're supposed to be at church on Easter Sunday and they'll say yes if you invite them. Invite them, bring them. So here's my question, not only about Easter Sunday, but any day. Throw it up on the screen. Here are the questions. Are we inviting people of all nations, of all tribes, of all languages, of all walks of life into the kingdom? Are we welcoming all people into the kingdom? Are we welcoming all people into our church family? Or are we acting as if we have exclusive rights and access to God? The people of Israel, the religious leaders at the temple acted as if they had exclusive right to the Lord and they were blockading others from coming to the Lord. May it never be with us. A moment ago, I shared something about a family. This time, I'm going to say the person's name. Michelle Tipton was telling in class this morning about a time that she and her husband, Howard, invited someone to come to church. And I believe it was on an Easter Sunday. And when that person got here, that person said they're not going to go to church. They're done with church because they spotted someone that they had seen in our building. I don't know if they were a church member or not, but somebody that had acted a fool out somewhere else. And they felt like that was a hypocritical person and they were done with God. Now, I'm not dismissing the person's choice to mark off God because of that but I am saying how sad that that someone in this lady's life had lived in such a way that instead of welcoming them into the kingdom of God had unintentionally run them off all right let's look at this one and oh my goodness I'm going over my time you'll have to bear with me on this sorry all right preach I got permission from Joyce I can keep preaching all right here we go The last main point, because the very bottom one that's in bold is actually a summary, the last point is this bear fruit. How do we genuinely worship the Lord? By bearing fruit. Look at the section of verses 18 through 22. It seems weird. Why do we include this story? Why did Matthew write this down? Why did the Holy Spirit lead him to write it down? Jesus is walking along. Give give me a break. Jesus is walking along. He wants a fig. He goes over tries to get a fig from a tree, and there's no fig on it, and he curses it, and it dies. What is Jesus doing? Is he really that hungry that he has to curse a tree for dying? No. What he's doing here actually took place, but it's pointing symbolically to what he had seen at the temple. Just as the fig tree was without fruit, so was what was taking place at the temple. So let's walk through a little bit of what took place. What is the deal here? If you actually read Mark chapter 11 verse 13, here's what it says about that day. Uh, Do I have that on the screen? I don't think I do. Mark 11 verse 13 says this. Jesus saw the fig tree in the distance, saw that it was in leaf. He went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. Okay, slow down here. It's not even the season for figs, and now Jesus is offended. There's no figs? What's the deal here? Well, I'm no fig farmer, but I did do a little research. The way a fig tree, at least in Israel, grows is this. In March, small little edible buds called pogum, or pogim, begins to grow. And then April, green leaves come out. And then in May, that little bud that I just described, that's edible, falls off, and the figs start growing in in May. So here we are at the time of the Passover, which means it's April, which means, according to the growth cycle, if green leaves are on there, that means there's those little small edible buds that were there. But according to Matthew chapter uh, 21, Verse 19 says he went to it and he found nothing on it. It doesn't just say no fig was on it. He said he found nothing on it. There were leaves, but there were no small edible buds. So from a distance, Jesus saw a fig tree. It had green leaves. That means there should be small edible things. He goes up to it, knowing already it's not there. There's no edible buds, and he curses it so that it'll die. He's not mad because he needs to eat something that day. He could have done something else. He's saying, just like that tree advertised from a distance that it was healthy, it actually had no fruit on it. Just like when I walked into Jerusalem in this big edifice called the temple, and the beauty and the grandeur of all that was in place there seems to say that it was growing, seemed to say it had green leaves, but there was no fruit whatsoever. In our lives, we can have green leaves. We can say, well, I got baptized. Well, I I said that prayer. I'm a Sunday school teacher. I'm a pastor. I'm a deacon. I host a hope group in my house. I mean, I even came to prayer at 7 a.m. Give me a break. I was there. I memorized a few verses. I got the best award in Awana. I mean, I am top stuff. The reality is, It's not about the outward appearance. It's about what's happening in the heart and are we producing fruit? Look at verse 13 real quick. He says, instead of it being a house of prayer, you make it a den of robbers. A couple of ways that the house of God had become a den of robbers. They were were robbing the people by cheating them on overcharging them. But there's another aspect where they all were robbing something, and that was that they were robbing God of his glory. They were treating the temple of God as if it was some kind of safe house, that they could retreat to the temple. They could live however they want to, and they retreat to the temple, and God would somehow protect them. This verse about the den of robbers comes from Jeremiah chapter 7. I promise I'm almost done. Jeremiah 7, verses 9 through 11. Listen to what the prophet says here. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, go after other gods that you have not known? And then after doing that, verse 10, come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name. That's what the Lord is saying. Are you going to do this? Are you going to sin and then come and stand before me and, and say, we are delivered, only to go on doing all these abominations? Has this house which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes. Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. We're not careful. We will live our lives however we want to throughout the course of the week, and then we'll come to church on Sunday and think that everything is okay. If we're not careful, we can say, well, I prayed a prayer and Jesus forgave me my sin, so I can live my life however I want to. And that is offensive to the Lord. My question for us is, are we behaving in obedience to the Lord? Here's a couple of questions on the screen. Just as Jesus inspected the fruit of that tree, he was actually inspecting the fruit of the temple and its worship practices and its people. He does the same thing with you and I. And the question I have is, is your life producing fruit for christ or are you like the fig tree with no fruit on the branches i want to be really careful right here though this is not about works based oh my goodness i'm not producing fruit i better work harder so i produce fruit no then we're still missing the point the gospel says this we are sinners without hope of salvation Jesus died on the cross, paid the penalty for our sin, died a death that we deserved, was resurrected on the third day, that if we place our faith and our trust in him and his finished work, then we can be made right with God. And the way that we are made right with God is by what Jesus has done on our behalf, and the way we live for God is by the same sort of thing. So the way that I produce fruit is not by me doing something harder or better. It's about the Lord doing his work in and through me. The summary point at the bottom of your outline says this, that Jesus deserves genuine, non-hypocritical worship. What was taking place at the temple was hypocritical worship, not genuine. He's calling us to not fall victim to the same sort of thing. Jesus responded to the fruitless religion by cursing it, He makes clear that he hates profession without practice. Don't profess Jesus as your savior and practice something different. We aren't to have songs on our lips and no surrender in our lives. Rather, we should sing songs with our lips like we did this morning and then surrender our very lives to the Lord. As we finish our time together, I have a couple of questions on the screen. And then after those questions are read, we will pray and then we'll stand to worship During the first song, there'll be a chance for you to respond publicly or on your card. And then in the second song, we'll pass the offering plates where the commitment card, connection cards and offerings can be placed. But here are the questions on the screen.